you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we're in the middle of looking at verses 14 through 22 of Revelation 3, which is a passage that is serving as the conclusion of our 16-month study of Christ above all. This series has been largely a study through the New Testament book of Colossians, but now it concludes for us in the New Testament book of Revelation. And the reason for this is because the book of Colossians, which we've been studying, was not only intended for the church there located in the city of Colossae, but it was also intended for all churches located there in the Lycus Valley in modern-day Turkey and beyond that for all churches even leading up till today. So this message of Christ above all, of Jesus being the only one through whom freedom and fulfillment is found, is what's to be delivered not just to Colossae, but circulated to Colossae's two nearby sister cities of Hierapolis and Laodicea as well. That is significant to point out because while Colossae and Hierapolis don't show up again in Scripture, Laodicea does right here in Revelation chapter 3. And thus this passage gives us a very valuable concluding message to our series of Christ above all by showing us the necessity of maintaining Christ above all as the central focus of our fellowship and of our church. Now here in Revelation chapter 3, it's been 30 years since Laodicea first heard the message of the book of Colossians. 30 years since they had been reminded that Christ alone is the only one who makes them complete, lacking in nothing before the eyes of God, as Colossians 2.10 teaches. It had been 30 years since they had been told to remember and to recall that only Christ can give them the riches of wisdom, as Colossians 2.3 says, the clothing of righteousness, as Colossians 1.14 and 3.10 says, and the fullness of understanding, as Colossians 2.2 stated. 30 years since they had heard the challenge, as Colossians 1 states, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. 30 years had passed, and they hadn't listened. Though I think, as we'll see today, they thought they had. They thought that Christ was the center and focus of their fellowship and church. I mean, after all, they hadn't fallen into the dangers warned about in the book of Colossians. They weren't ceremonial legalists, they weren't experiential mysticists, mysticists, and they weren't restrictive aestheticists. That's a mouthful. (laughs) They were orthodox, in other words. They had the doctrines of Colossians 1-2 through down, at least in their heads. They believed Christ was the creator and the sustainer and the ruler of all things. They believed the gospel that Christ alone alone can impart forgiveness, salvation, and reconciliation with God. Their doctrine on paper was correct. They weren't like all those other people. So surely that means that Christ was above all in their midst, right? We don't have the negative. I mean, we're not like those legalists or those experientialists or those aestheticists. We don't have the negative. That must mean that we have the positive. We must be living Christ living out Christ above all, right? Wrong. See, even though the Laodiceans acknowledged Christ as preeminent with their words, they did not live like Christ was preeminent with their lives. They may have had Colossians 1-2 through down, but they were failing Colossians 3-4. through And though they may have steered clear of the dangers of ceremonial legalism, experiential mysticism, and restrictive aestheticism, those are not the only dangers to Christ above all. They had fallen into another grievous error that was just as dangerous and 
might I say far more commonly found among churches like ours and among believers like ourselves who acknowledge the supremacy and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and who hold the correct doctrine, well, Laodicea warns us that that fact in and of itself does not protect us from the danger of not devoting ourselves to Jesus Christ above all. We can say, Lord, Lord, and yet not do what He tells us. We can say, Lord, Lord, and still not exalt Christ above all as we ought. So it was with the Laodicean church. And so 30 years later, Jesus in the book of Revelation has the Apostle John write a letter of love to the church in Laodicea, appealing to them to return and to exalt Him as Lord of their lives and as the supreme object of their affections and ambitions. Last week we saw the church's assessor in verse 14 as Jesus reminded the Laodiceans of just who it was that was speaking to them. Just as he describes himself in Colossians 2, 9 through 10 and Colossians 1, 15 through 18, Jesus reminds the Laodiceans once again that he is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He is the one uniquely positioned to offer true and trustworthy counsel to us as his children. The issue is, will we listen to His words as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, or will we not? So that was the church's assessor. That is the church's assessor. Today we're going to begin looking at the church's ailment in verses 15-17. through That is the danger that the Laodicean church had fallen into. Then, in verses 18-19, through we'll see the church's answer to their ailment. And then finally, in verses 20 through 22, the church's awards, or that is the motivation to listen to Christ and to follow him as he calls on us to do. So, the church's assessor, the church's ailment, the church's answer, and the church's awards. So, with that in mind, let's read Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us. Revelation 3.14 And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the um, Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments, 
so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the Word of God whose salvation and fulfillment of His righteous promises our eyes long to see. Let's pray. Father, You know our need. We need Jesus. We need a fresh glimpse of His glory and grace. We need a fresh reminder of our need for Him. Father, I pray that You would Remind us of who we are and remind us of who our Savior is. We might worship Him as He deserves to be worshipped. Transform us, Father, we pray this morning by Your Word, by the power of Your Spirit, so that Christ might be seen in us and heard from us for the eyes of a watching world that needs to know Him. Change all of us for Your honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after... Jesus reminds the church of their assessor of who it was that was speaking to them. He then lays out in verses 15 the church's ailment. Verses 15 through 17. In other words, Jesus reveals to the church the true condition of their spiritual state before Him. And that spiritual state could be summarized as I wrestled with how to best term it this week. I think it could best be summarized as stagnant self-sufficiency. That was the ailment of the Laodicean church. The Laodicean error and the ever-present danger that might keep any one of us and us together as a church from exalting Christ above all is the danger of stagnant self-sufficiency. So let's take a look at this. First, Jesus diagnoses the Laodicean church as 
being spiritually stagnant. This is in verses 15 through 16, where Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So what is it about the Laodicean believers that so disgusted Christ that he was ready to spit that church out of his mouth? What was it that so disgusted him that he was nearly ready to shut their doors permanently? Jesus says it three times. He was disgusted by the fact that they were neither cold nor hot. Hot nor cold. Now what does Jesus mean by that? Well, some people have said that it means that Jesus would rather have you red hot and zealous for Him or totally cold and in love with this world. In other words, Jesus is saying something like the worst thing is sitting on the fence, so either hate me or love me, but whatever you do, don't be in the middle. Listen, that is not what this passage is teaching. The very idea that Christ would, under any circumstances, desire any of His children to not be in total love with Him is borderline heresy. And by the way, it is totally contrary to the nature of what it means to be a believer, to be someone redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. For as Romans 8.28 says, believers are those who love God. So Jesus is not saying, either love me or hate me, but whatever you do, don't be on the fence. No. This is when we're reminded of how to properly study a passage. To understand any passage of Scripture rightly, and including this one, you need to first understand it as it would have been understood by the original audience. And then from there, we can take the eternal principles that apply to our lives. So let me give you some context. First, Laodicea was located right in the middle of the Lycus Valley, with Hierapolis to the north and Colossae to the east. And Laodicea, as the chief city in that region, was dependent on those other two towns for its greater need for water for the populace that they had. And those two towns had, uh, had two good sources of water, at least on paper anyway. Uh, Hierapolis to the north was renowned for its mineral hot springs. These hot springs stayed around 95 degrees Fahrenheit, about the temperature of a hot tub at all times, and were believed to have healing properties for those who were sick or were wounded. And Colossae, to the east, was famous for its cold, mountain-fed spring water that travelers could look forward to drinking and washing themselves in in order to refresh their tired and their weary bodies. Those two external sources for water, this healing hot water and this refreshing cold water, Laodicea had piped through aqueducts to their town. The only problem was, by the time the water traveled those six miles or so to Laodicea, the refreshing cold water was no longer cold, and the healing hot water was no longer hot, but instead was lukewarm and nauseous due to concentrated mineral buildup. And when those two water sources mixed together, in fact, it was reported that it could actually cause people to vomit. Well, here Jesus takes that familiar physical description of Laodicea's water supplies to diagnose the spiritual problem of the Laodicean church. He says here in this passage, I know your works. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know your life. I know your ministry. I know your actions as a church. He says, you are neither cold nor hot. 
Would that you were either cold or hot. Jesus is saying there, I wish you were good for something. Right? I wish that when you got together it would produce some spiritual benefit. That when you assemble together as a church, it would result either in the spiritual healing of those who are spiritually sick, wounded, and dying, or that it would result in the spiritual refreshment of those who are tired, weary, and in danger of falling. In other words, Jesus is saying, I wish that your influence would bring either spiritual healing to the lost, or bring spiritual refreshment to the redeemed. But as it is, you do neither of those things, Laodicea. You're just lukewarm. You're neither a healing nor a spiritually enlivening influence on the lives of others. You're just blah. You're stagnant. People who know you, to put it this way, people who know you, walk away from you no better off. No nearer to life and godliness. No nearer to Christ and His freedom and fulfillment than before they met you. You're stagnant. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That was the spiritual state of the church and the state of those believers. Jesus desired their presence to be a healing, a comforting, and a spiritually enlivening influence in the lives of those around Him, but they weren't. Just like the water in Laodicea that mixed together into something eventually disgusting, those Christians' pure devotion to Christ had become mixed together with too many other earthly ambitions, affections, and desires. And as a result, they were in danger of being of no spiritual benefit in this world at all. They were in danger of becoming useless lots in the gate of the city, but of no effect at all. It was just like Jesus' warning that's found in Matthew 5, verse 13, when he says this, you're the salt of the world, salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown underfoot and trampled under people's feet. Do you know how ancient salt would lose its saltiness back then? It would get diluted. It would get mixed with rainwater and with dirt. That's exactly what was happening with the Laodiceans. They professed Jesus Christ as Lord above all. They were a church. They were believers. They confessed Christ as Lord over all. But their lives told a different story. Because rather than living for and speaking of Christ and seeking after Him above all, their lives were filled to the brim with so many interests, so many pursuits, so many affections that Christ was lost in it all. It was just an add-on to their otherwise perfect life. To such a degree that when the church came together, as 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen says, you could say it was not for the better, but it was for the worse. Their devotion to Jesus Christ had become so weak, so deluded, so distracted by the things of this world, so lukewarm that Christ said, I am ready to spit you out of my mouth. 
Now, I need to be very clear. That does not describe believers losing their salvation. 1 Peter 1, verse 5 says, makes it very clear that the redeemed are being guarded by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. No one is strong enough to snatch you out of your Savior or your Father's hands. When you belong to Him, you are eternally secure. No one can snatch you out of your Father's hands, and that includes you. So while this isn't describing believers losing their salvation, it is absolutely describing believers losing their church. Of Christ shutting the doors, extinguishing the lampstand, dissolving the fellowship, and sending His children off into better and greener fields where they can find the healing and enlivening gospel of Jesus Christ more faithfully given. Such is the necessity of exalting Jesus Christ above all for all churches. All churches. If any church is not zealous to return to its main mission of making and, mas- and matru- making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ, if any church is not zealous to return to preaching the Word of God, approaching the throne of Christ, and ministering to one another as the people of Christ, if any church is not zealous to return to healing the lost and refreshing the saved through applying the Gospel of Christ, If any church is not zealous to return to exalting Christ above all, then Christ promises He will spew that assembly of believers out of His mouth. Why? It's because He loves His people and longs for their fellowship. Too much for that to endure. This is the necessity of Christ above all for us as a church. We must make sure that nothing distracts us and nothing dilutes us from this. Pursuing a pure devotion to Jesus Christ above all so that we might be a healing and enlivening influence in the lives of those around us. We must stay focused on this. And absent-mindedly drifting away from that central calling of Christ above all can happen to anybody. For the Colossians, we've already seen it can become it can it can be by becoming distracted by external ceremonies or mystical experiences or religious restrictions. But for the Laodiceans, It was becoming stagnant through a horrific sense of self-sufficiency. That's what we'll see in verse 17. The Laodiceans fell away from exalting Christ above all because they had slowly developed amongst themselves as a congregation a terrifying sense of self-sufficiency. That's in verse 17 where Jesus says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, And I need nothing. Jesus here, once again, diagnoses their spiritual condition with physical descriptions that the Laodiceans would have been very familiar with. Because you see, Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities in the ancient world at that time, being located right in the middle of an intersection between a north-south and an east-west trade route. And located along that trade route, Laodicea grew into becoming one one of the most famous fashion centers 
uh, of the Roman Empire becoming famous for their soft raven black wool that was purchased at exorbitant prices by traveling merchants around the world. In fact, the Laodiceans became so wealthy that when the city was flattened by an enormous earthquake that happened in 60 AD, the Laodiceans refused Roman imperial funds and rebuilt the city from scratch using their own wealth. They were materially self-sufficient, needing no one, needing nothing. The problem was they had begun to apply that same idea to their spiritual condition before God. These believers literally went throughout their day thinking, I need nothing. Why? Because they looked at themselves. I mean, that's literally what they mentioned, right? I, 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 right? Just like the Pharisees. They looked at themselves in relation to others, and they said, look at where we are. We are rich. Not only that, look at where we have come from. We have prospered. We're not like those legalists over there. We're not like those mystics up the street. We're not like those aestheticists over town. No, we've got the right doctrine. We've got a right understanding of Scripture and of Christ and of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but we're doing pretty good for ourselves. We are rich, we've prospered, and we need nothing. And with that, we are content. See what the Laodiceans were doing? By taking their eyes off of Christ above all, and by comparing themselves with others, the Laodiceans had developed a twisted sense of stagnant self-sufficiency. Well, here Jesus, the faithful and true witness, replies and says, Man, if you'd only stop comparing yourselves with the spiritual poverty of others and start comparing yourselves with the riches that are found in me, you'd realize that next to my glory and my worth and my splendor, you would realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is showing these self-sufficient Laodiceans and us that we will never ever, ever outgrow our need for Jesus. Ever. We are in constant, continual, eternal need to draw near and to hold fast to Him who is our head, as Colossians 2.19 says. I referenced Matthew 5 earlier in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the earth. Well, what we need to remember from that very same sermon is that according to Matthew 5, verse 3, one of the things that makes us salt and light in this world is our continual sense of being poor in spirit. The moment we as Christians lose that, the moment we lose our sense of spiritual poverty and constant dependency on Christ, we cease in that moment to be a light and a salt in this world. We cease in that moment to be a healing and enlivening influence. So Jesus calls us back here not to compare ourselves with the poverty of others, but to examine ourselves next to the riches of Christ and realize we never, ever, ever outgrow our need for Him. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. This is songs we sing. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me, thou my Savior. I come to thee. 
we are simply beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And the moment we lose that sense and we start carrying in our heart a twisted sense of self-sufficiency, we have ceased to be a testimony for Christ in this world. There's so much more I want to say. As this passage has ripped me apart this past week, But I have to ask this question. How do you regard yourself this morning? What's the default setting of your self-perception when you wake up in the morning? Do you see yourself as rich, prosperous, and in need of nothing? Or do you see yourself as Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked, and in constant need of the fellowship and riches of Christ. You know how you can tell the answer to that question? How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? What's the first thing you run to when you wake up in the morning? Because these are the two main ways that we most directly fellowship with Christ our greatest need on a daily basis. It's through prayer and the Word. I can guarantee you one thing. The Laodiceans didn't or rarely prayed. Nor did they make meditating on the Word of Christ a priority in their life. Because it is only those who realize their need for Christ that pray. And it is only those who realize their need for Christ that daily sit at the teacher's feet. So I urge you, to heed the words of the faithful and true witness from this passage this morning. Exalt Christ above all. And by that I mean flee the ailment of stagnant self-sufficiency. Christ is calling you this morning to be zealous and repent. To turn back to Him. Turn to Him. And find in His presence and fullness the riches that you need each and every day. Flee the ailment of stagnant self-sufficiency. How do we do that? How do we avoid the dangers of stagnant self-sufficiency? Well, Jesus is going to show us next week. But for now, let me give you two practical ways to avoid spiritual stagnation and self-sufficiency. First, to avoid the danger specifically of stagnation, I call on each and every one of you here this morning to preach the gospel of Christ to others. See, Jesus said in verse 16 that the Laodicean believers were neither what? Hot nor cold. They delivered neither spiritual healing to the lost nor spiritual refreshment to the saved. They were neither a healing nor an enlivening influence. They were just blah. 
of no positive spiritual influence in the lives of those around you. Am I the only one convicted by that description this morning? Too many people in my life have known me and walked away, not changed at all. So how can we make sure that we are a positive influence in the lives of those around us? Answer, let your words be full of Christ. Speak of Jesus to the lost and to the saved. I mean, we've got to come to the point where we have to say, you know what, in this circumstance, I can't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ anymore. You know, if I'm talking to my coworker and they're dealing with this issue, I know company policy, but maybe we could step outside the door for a few moments and I could share 30 seconds of the good news of Christ. Eventually, we've got to realize, you know, there's something more important in the life of my classmate than them thinking I'm cool and in total step with them. Eventually, I have to share with them that Jesus is the one that brings satisfaction to their soul. I have to love them enough to do that. I have to make sure that my words are full of Christ. Speak of Jesus to the lost and to the saved. He's the balm in Gilead that Jeremiah 8.22 points forward to that makes the wounded whole. And he is the life of every believer as we learn in Colossians 3 verse 4. He is our life. And so if you want to bring hot healing to the dying and if you want to bring cold refreshment to the weary, then we've got to work on building up the habit of making our speech be full of Jesus who alone can bring healing and refreshment to the soul. So here's one piece of homework that you might consider. Take someone you interact with daily or regularly, whether that be at home or work or school or maybe in the neighborhood. Maybe the Lord's bringing to your mind someone right now. I want to encourage you to strive to at least mention the name of Jesus once to them this week. So to avoid the danger of being a stagnant influence on those around you, preach the gospel of Christ to others. Second, to avoid the danger of self-sufficiency, I'd encourage you to preach the gospel of Christ to yourself. See, the Laodicean believers took their eyes off of Jesus, didn't they? They started looking at earthly things and comparing themselves with others. They took their eyes off of Christ and after comparing themselves next to the poverty of others and where they were, rather than comparing themselves next to the riches that were available to them in Christ, their conclusion is they, that they, we are better off than others and in need of nothing. See, unless we consciously remind ourselves of the gospel of who we are in our poverty and who Jesus is in his riches and grace, we will slip into the same Laodicean way of thinking. We must remind ourselves of the gospel that we, and we remain conscious of our need for Christ, a need that we will never grow out of. You need Jesus, by the way, just as much, you need Jesus just as much today as you will need Jesus on the last day. If we're not reminded of this, if we don't continually remind ourselves that Christ is our greatest need and other needs and other desires, like with the Laodiceans, richness and success and influence will become more urgent, more significant, and more relevant to us than our need for Jesus. And we will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. 
We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Fix our eyes on Jesus and on our need for Him. Practical resources to help you do that. I would encourage you, if you're like, man, I have fallen into this, take some time this week to read through the crucifixion accounts in the four Gospels. And remember why Christ had to die. And remember for whom He died. Another resource would be read the Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent, if you haven't, or haven't done it recently. Or maybe even the Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. Two excellent resources that remind you of your need for Christ. As a believer, remind yourself of your daily need for Jesus. To avoid the danger of stagnant self-sufficiency, preach the gospel of Christ to yourself. And remember, you stand in constant need of Christ, Christ above all. And it is as we, by the way, come to understand our need for Him, that we will then be encouraged and motivated to share others, Him to others who are in need of Him also. Finally, I can't help but think that maybe you're here this morning and you're confused by this entire message. How can those in Laodicea who were living at the center of fashion, living at the center of wealth, living at the center of influence ever be thought of as poor? If you're wondering that this morning, simply ask someone with more money than you right now whether they're content and satisfied and you'll find out that money is not what you need. See, our problem is much deeper than that. The problem is we were created to know and love God We were made to have a relationship with God in Christ Jesus and to find all of our freedom and fulfillment in Him who is the fullness of God, in Him alone above all. Only we have rebelled and we have sinned and we have sought to find that freedom and fulfillment in lesser things. And you know it, it makes you empty. These are empty cisterns that hold no water. And I want you to know this morning that you stand in need of Jesus Christ alone above all. He has died and He has risen again to pay the penalty for your sins so that you in your poverty might be united to Him in His riches. And you must come to realize that your sin separates you from God and you stand in constant need of Him, in constant need of being united to Him in faith and enjoying His fellowship. He died and rose again to make this possible. So what keeps you from trusting in Jesus, the true and faithful witness and assessor, of your soul this morning? What keeps you from coming to Him who is your only need? You can take Him at His word. He is all you need and you will never outgrow your need for Him. I encourage you this morning, if you have never confessed your sins and called out to God, for the forgiveness and fullness and freedom that is found in Jesus, do so as I close in prayer today. We'll have to look at the rest of the passage this week, but for now, this is the Word of God from Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience till the healer and enlivener of our own souls returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank You for Jesus Father, we cry out to You in the position of our need. As we so often turn to lesser things to find freedom and fulfillment, help us, Father, this week 
to not only declare Christ as above all, but to demonstrate that by our lives. Help us to demonstrate it, Father, first in those two most basic of ways of sharing Jesus to those around us and of reminding ourselves of our own need for Him. Break our pride, Father, and I pray that as we wake up every day this next week, give us grace, Father, that we would wake up with a sense of our continual need for fellowship with Jesus. May we come to Him in prayer and through Your Word that we might eat with Him and He with us. We might find satisfaction for our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.